Welcome to the 10th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews, reviews, and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Ear to the Ground number 9 featured a discussion of how farming can produce multiple benefits beyond just production of food and fiber. What benefits for the environment, the community, and society in general can diverse farming systems produce? That's the main question the Multiple Benefits of Agriculture Research Project is exploring. It's become clear in recent years that farming's potential is just starting to be tapped. As we learned in the last podcast, a study of two Minnesota watersheds, Wells Creek in the southeastern part of the state and the Chippewa in the west, has shown that diverse farming systems that rely less on annual row crops and more on perennial systems such as pasture grass and hay can produce significant environmental benefits. In this case, the benefit that was produced was cleaner water, and those positive results can be attained on working farmland, land that is not idle, but instead is being actively farmed and is producing a viable income for the people who own and work it. But what does it actually mean to improve a watershed's aquatic health? Bruce Von Drachik says it means quite a lot. He should know. Von Drachik is an aquatic biologist at the U.S. Geological Survey's Minnesota Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Research Unit. He is one of the scientists involved with the Multiple Benefits of Agriculture Project and was one of the authors of a bioscience paper reporting some of the initiative's findings. Mondrachik has long studied the impacts of farming systems on water quality and fish habitat. During the 1990s, he was a member of the monitoring team, a land stewardship project-led initiative that brought together scientists, farmers, government agency personnel, and environmental professionals to monitor the impact certain livestock production practices were having on the land and farmers. While working with the monitoring team, Mondrachik realized that livestock and good water quality could sometimes go together, which is contrary to what he and other environmental scientists had been taught. His recent work with the Multiple Benefits of Agriculture Project has reinforced what the scientists learned in the 90s. He has seen and documented how well-managed grazing systems can actually improve water quality on a farm. Mondrachik recently talked about his research, why we should care how much eroded soil makes its way into our water, and how his attitudes towards the role livestock farming can play in improving the environment have changed. One of the things that, uh, that I noticed when I looked at this study was uh, uh, the effect of sediment on fish and fish habitat. And I'm not sure if everybody really considers sediment. Uh, when they think of water pollution, they often think of chemicals, um, affluent from factories, that type of thing, but uh, sediment can be a major a major problem for fish, and, and that's something that I know you've studied as a, as a fisheries ecologist, and, and uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about that, what, how sediment itself can be a major problem uh, for fish and their habitat and that whole chain there? Yes. Um, sediment actually has, or can have a number of effects on fish, and lower levels of uh, sediment. And what we should, I should really talk about here is that sediment is actually divided into two different categories. One is the suspended sediment, so the very fine particles that are carried along in the water and stay in suspension for a very long period of time. And then we also have sediment that moves along the uh, stream bed surface and there's consequences of either of those. But at, at low levels, uh, sediment making its way into the stream uh, can impair fish 
by simply impairing their division so that they they can't see as well, so they can't see um, the other fish uh, about them of the same species, nor can they see as well to feed. Um, but as we increase the level of sediment, or as the, the level of sediment, suspended sediment in the stream increases, at higher and higher concentrations, what we eventually get to are levels high enough so that it actually starts to affect the uh, uptake of oxygen. And it does that by uh, actually acting like sandpaper on the gills of fish. So it starts to impede the process of up take of oxygen and at very high levels it actually does act like sandpaper where it starts to erode away the, the tissue of the gills. Now the um, sediment that moves along the uh, stream bed itself uh, affects fish habitat and fish have uh, a number of or a number of fish, excuse me, let me put this a different way, a number of fish are very dependent upon having clean uh, substrate in the uh, stream bed to spawn. So they need clean gravels to uh, lay their eggs and uh, then for the eggs to go through the process of maturing and then hatching. And what happens when sediment starts to increase is the sediment that moves along the uh, surface of the bed or when water uh, slows down enough that the suspended sediment that I talked about earlier can actually settle out. What that does is settle then on the eggs and can actually uh, smother the eggs. So it, it impedes the uh, ability of the eggs to take up oxygen from the water. Now there's another consequence uh, also in, in related to this in that uh, most fish in streams here in Minnesota uh, depend at least at one point in their life on the invertebrates that live in the stream uh, so they use them for food and the invertebrates are much smaller they need to be able to move around in the uh, rocks at the bottom of the stream and if we get uh, sediment moving along in the stream or along the stream bed or to settle out on the stream what that does is reduces the habitat for the macroinvertebrates and then indirectly affects the, the fish because there's less food for the fish to eat. Mm. You know, uh, kind of related to that, uh, sediment can have, I assume, different effects on different watersheds depending on their geography and, and the kind of land use going on there. And Wells Creek and the Chippewa are quite different. Um, one's in the southeast part of the state and the other's in the western part of the state. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between them, uh, I guess ecologically and geograph geographically, and uh, how that, what that tells us by studying these two different watersheds? What, can that tell us some things about overall uh, what impacts our, our land use have on uh, Minnesota or our upper Midwestern watersheds? Well, I'll go at this um, and briefly touch upon the geography, but talk about uh, the ecological conditions. Uh, Wells Creek uh, we picked for this project uh, primarily because it is a, a cooler water stream and actually supports uh, trout and uh, we think from the best of our knowledge that brook trout were uh, found in Wells Creek prior to the settlement of uh, this area by Europeans and 
uh, brook trout are pretty dependent upon cold water entering the system and that's really related to the uh, geography and the, and the geology of the, the system in uh, the streams that enter into the Mississippi where Wells Creek is um, the area is underlined by karst topography and what that simply means is that there's a lot of limestone and that uh, very low uh, acid in the water uh, actually eats away at the limestone and then uh, allows water to move uh, to the streams and when it moves to the streams it's cooler and uh, supports um, a community that can include trout. Um, out west in uh, the Chippewa system we have much different geology uh, and uh, the area does have uh, some spring input but not nearly to the level that we have in Wells Creek and what that means uh, basically for the, the fish and the invertebrate community is that the water is typically much warmer and we have then uh, out in the Chippewa and in Wells Creek two different kinds of fish and invertebrate communities um, and it's primarily related to the, the temperature and the important part there is that um, as opposed to we humans fish really regulate their temperature based on what the water temperature is. They have no real control as we do internally to keep our body temperature at a certain level. So they're very dependent upon whatever the water temperature is in, in the stream. And um, we have uh, broadly, not just here in Minnesota, but broadly across the world, different communities in cold water systems and in warm water systems as we have in um, Wells Creek and the, the Chippewa system. And there's also some other uh, factors that go on here with the uh, e ecology, uh, primarily related to the birds that move through, and that's much more related to the location of Wells Creek in relation to the, uh, the Chippewa River, in that a lot of bird species move up the uh, Mississippi River. And one of the differences, and one of the reasons that we picked uh, Wells Creek uh, over Chippewa is that there is still more wooded habitat along Wells Creek. These areas are used by the migrating birds as they come up uh, in the springtime to uh, breed further north and then in the fall when they, when they move back. So we have both uh, an effect on the fish because of the water temperature and uh, on the bird community because of the different kinds of vegetation that we have in, in each area. Hmm. Uh, Looking at some of the drops in sediment levels that we saw, like in Wells Creek, it was, we once we increased that amount of perennial vegetation on the ground, we saw a drop of as much as 84% in sediment uh, runoff. And uh, the Chippewa was 49%. I mean, I, it, it's kind of common sense tells you if you got more grasses and, and, and perennial vegetation on that land, uh, all throughout the year, you are going to have less runoff. But to have like an 84% drop or an almost 50% drop, even that seems pretty uh, 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 pretty dramatic. Were you surprised at some of the drops you saw? 
I was only surprised at the, uh, the Wells Creek value where we had a reduction in uh, 84%. Um, I was much less surprised with the reduction of effectively 50% uh, in the, the Chippewa River system. And I would feel pretty confident that uh, that 50% reduction in the Chippewa is a pretty accurate reflection of, of what likely would occur there. And that's really based on uh, the, the model that we did. And one of the reasons that this model was developed originally, it was really developed to take a look at runoff and how different agricultural practices uh, affect runoff. So what we saw based on these scenarios as we increased the, the vegetation um, in our modeling exercise, what we saw not only was a reduction in sediment, but we saw a reduction in the uh, runoff levels. And that's important because runoff is the, the major mover of uh, sediment uh, across the landscape. So uh, when we have uh, rainfall and um, that then uh, the, the rainfall can then erode the, the soil and then move it across the landscape. So by reducing the amount of water that was moving across the landscape, um, we came up with these uh, different levels of sediment into the stream. And, and I'm pretty confident that that's correct. And the uh, other part of this is that by having vegetation on the landscape, um, we reduced the runoff uh, from based on this model, but just based on other research, uh, vegetation on the landscape acts in many different ways to reduce the amount of uh, runoff. One is that uh, there's simply a physical barrier. So when you have more vegetation on the landscape, the stems of, of the, the um, plants, no matter what they are, uh, even if they're uh, grasses or corn stalks, if they're, they're up, the, the vegetation itself acts as a physical barrier, slows down the water. That is important because then the water can infiltrate into the, the ground and not move across the surface, which then carries the, the sediment. The other part of having um, perennial vegetation is that we actually reduce the amount of water that makes it into the stream, whether it's across the surface or in the groundwater, because if we have lots of vegetation on the landscape, the plants are going to be taking up some of this water for their growth. They're going to transpire that back into the atmosphere, and so there's going to be less water moving through the system to the stream. So in both of these ways, um, sediment is going to uh, be reduced. That's great. The, the uh, you were involved with the monitoring project, which which was the kind of the, I guess, uh, precursor to this initiative and, and various other research initiatives that we've seen out there involving farmers and researchers like yourself. And um, I know one of the things that came out of the monitoring project and what seems to be coming out of the multiple benefits initiative is this idea that uh, farms, working farms, can actually play a pretty major role in improving things like water quality. That uh, there's this, there's the idea that, well, if you put in a terrace or a grassy waterway, you can prevent further damage to the environment. And obviously, if you uh, 
put the land in, set aside in a conservation reserve program situation or fallow, you can have a positive impact. But that we're actually seeing a situation where, say, with managed rotational grazing and some of these other systems, it seems that the farms can actually improve water quality, that the water can leave the farm in better shape than, than when it came onto the farm. Is that, can you talk a little bit about that, what you've witnessed and how that, I guess, uh, dovetails with some, some of this most recent research within the Wells Creek and the Chippewa? Well, one of the things that you pointed out was the monitoring project, which actually began in, in 1993, so that was done quite a while ago. But one of the uh, reasons that we really became involved, only one of the reasons, but one of the reasons we became involved in the Multiple Benefits Project is during that mon uh, monitoring project, um, I and several other colleagues saw on uh, several farms that had rotational grazing that when we compared rotational grazing or the, the water quality uh, at or along uh, rotationally grazed uh, farms, compared that with farms that had conventional grazing, what we saw was in most cases an improvement in water quality and specifically in the amount of suspended sediment that was uh, in the stream, and I addressed that earlier on and how that can affect both the, the fish and the fish habitat. And one of the other things that we saw was that there was actually a reduction in the uh, fecal coliform uh, in the water uh, in, in both of these uh, particular situations. Um, I'm not so sure that I was responsible for generating um, research that has uh, been done since then, but there has been a number of projects uh, since the, the monitoring project that have taken a look at uh, managed grazing as a technique um, or as a managed grazing as a technique, but then compared uh, that with other kinds of practices and then looked at uh, water quality and um, the uh, fish and macroinvertebrates in the, the streams. And there is research that is coming out that indicates that in many cases um, managed grazing or rotational grazing as it's uh, better known um, has or when that practice is incorporated the water quality associated with uh, those treatments is um, better in, in many different kinds of categories than uh, what's found uh, along um, conventional grazing. Now I'm, I will um, say also though that um, managed grazing um, although it improves if we had a system of um, permanent vegetation where uh, cows weren't uh, involved, we might get better water quality. So I'm, I'm not saying that, that uh, managed grazing is the best use of the land as far as water quality goes, but what it allows is improved water quality and the ability of farmers to still make a living off that portion of land. So I think that's a very important uh, consideration to uh, way uh, in our uh, approach to water quality. And I might point out that uh, there is some recent research 
that uh, was done over in the last couple years by a colleague of mine at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency that uh, for his uh, PhD work where he specifically looked at managed grazing then in relation to uh, conventional grazing and areas with no grazing and what he found in uh, a number of cases is that um, managed grazing actually fell out uh, intermediate between uh, conventional graze systems and no graze systems. So there was an improvement in not only water quality but also to the physical characteristics of the stream. Uh, this gentleman I'm talking about is a hydrologist and he's very concerned about how the stream system itself um, is affected by the change in land use. And he found that in many cases um, the physical system itself uh, showed uh, changes based on uh, managed grazing. And I think because the system itself w operates somewhat differently, that that would then have feedback so that water that it supports the idea of, of improved water quality. So this actually is a, uh, a feedback system and uh, supports the information, mostly biological, that I collected um, a number of years ago. Hmm. Will you, can you think back when you first started seeing that uh, working farmland could have a positive impact on the environment? Were, were you, as a fisheries biologist, uh, that probably wasn't what, what you were taught and trained, and were you surprised? Um, I came into this with a fairly open mind, but I will say that the information that was primarily available at the time when I started this project was that having uh, cattle uh, along a stream uh, was going to lead to degraded water quality conditions. And uh, my caveat there is that most of that work was actually done uh, out west and not here in the Midwest. And the real difference out west is when uh, we look at grazing out there, even what they call rotational grazing, that means the cows are on one spot for at least a year. And uh, it's much more similar to our, our continuous grazing system here. But what we find out west is that the luscious vegetation is primarily along the stream courses and the cattle as you might suspect, spend most of their time there. Here in the Midwest, we're actually blessed with uh, rainfall during the summertime, and yes, indeed, the cows will go to uh, the stream and drink from it and uh, eat along the stream, but because we have more continuous rainfall throughout the year, grass is greener here, not only along the stream, but uplands, and so um, I, in one respect, I'm not surprised that we see um, a better uh, or an improvement in water quality, uh, even when we allow cows along the stream here in the in the Midwest, because grass grows pretty fast, and that that has an effect on sediment, water movement, uh, nutrient movement, uh, some of those other things that we then consider uh, important for water quality. The Multiple Benefits of Agriculture Project is now looking at how agricultural policy changes, university research, and market incentives can be used to bring about the kinds of diverse farming systems that produce numerous benefits for the land and our communities. For more on this initiative, see 
www.landstewardshipproject.org backslash programs underscore mba dot html. That's landstewardshipproject.org backslash programs underscore mba dot html. There you will find papers, articles, and graphics that tell the story of how diverse farming can have a positive impact on the fish in our streams, our rural communities, consumers, and more. You can send your comments, criticisms, and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. That's bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also give me a call at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, an LSP staffer who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.